if email hasn't got a clear objective, a clear target, a clear goal in mind, then it will not be helping the business to achieve its overall business goal. And then that makes the whole conversation when it comes to budgets and looking at performance really, really difficult to be able to see whether or not a campaign worked, whether or not the strategy was successful, how much it's actually given back to the business. You're listening to Real Marketing Real Fast, the only podcast that brings you unfiltered, undaunted, insider information on the latest tools and technologies for online marketers. Prepare to dive deep into marketing myths, breakthrough models, and cutting-edge strategies that will have an immediate impact on the growth of your business. And now, here's your host, marketing expert, Doug Morneau. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Today in studio, I've got a friend of mine joining me from the UK. I've got uh, Jenna Tiffany, and she is an expert in all things strategy and marketing, and especially in email. I think you'll enjoy today's episode as we talk about the new legislation that's uh, come in recently with GDPR, what's happening uh, with the new legislation in California. And she's going to share with you some tips of um, how you can take advantage of these changing um, landscapes and rules around uh, marketing and connecting with your customers and she'll share with you uh, you know some of her clients that have implemented these strategies they've had massive wins we're also going to cover off some new topics of how you can uh, increase your revenue by five times so if that's something that you're interested in then i would say sit back take some notes and enjoy the episode so just a bit better introduction for jenna jenna is the founder um, and the strategy uh, director at a company called Lex Let's Talk Strategy. Um, she provides strategic consulting services across the digital marketing mix. And she's also a chartered member of the IDM uh, with over 10 years experience in both uh, business to business and uh, business to consumer marketing. She's consulted with some really large brands such as uh, Shell, Hilton, uh, World Duty Free, just to name a few. I follow her uh, on social media and I see her uh, out speaking uh, constantly around the world. So, you know, doing that, She's been recognized as an expert in her field. Uh, she is elected and serves on the DMA UK Email Marketing Council, as well as she's the chair of the Email Best Practice Hub that's helping to shape the industry's best practices. And she's involved in the latest research. She's also a marketing tutor teaching CIM courses, as well as a competent public speaker. And most recently, she was just nominated and added to the list of the top 100 female marketers around the world to follow. So uh, with that said, I'd like to uh, turn it over to Jenna and welcome you to the Real Marketing Real Fast podcast today. Well, hey, Jenna, I'm super excited to have you on the Real Marketing podcast today. Thanks so much for taking time out of your day to share with our audience. Thank you so much for inviting me back. It's great to be back second time on your show. <laughs> Well, I mean, you just uh, shared with me just a minute ago uh, on the um, Women's Day that you uh, received acclamation of top 100 uh, women marketers to follow. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a bit of a surprise, a brilliant honor and listed alongside some, you know, amazing female marketers that I really aspire to. So it was a, that was a really great day for me. <laughs> 
Well, since the last time we talked, obviously there's lots that's changed as we're seeing the GDPR rollout and the impact of that on business. And now looking uh, to the U.S. market, looking at what's happening with California starting down that road and uh, talking about uh, the article that I just saw you publish recently. And that was why does email marketing need a strategy? So do you want to start off and, and just kind of give us an overview of uh, what some of the impact has been for companies that embraced GDPR when it came in and maybe Maybe that can point our listeners to, you know, what may opportunities might come in the U.S. And then the impact of the companies that didn't follow. The information you shared with me was pretty devastating. So, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah, sure. So GDPR, you know, is sometimes a bit of an eye roll. It kind of happens when you talk about that four-letter word. It's a bit of a, we've all got a bit of a GDPR hangover, particularly <laughs> in the UK, I think. But yeah, I mean, organizations that really tackled GDPR, they took a step back. They did this in advance. You know, they some organizations were planning a year before sending their campaigns to their customers if they thought that they needed consent, if that's what they determined, six months or more in advance, not two, three days, the week before the day of um, GDPR. And <laughs> those organizations that really planned ahead, they took a step back and assessed it from, okay, what are the opportunities of GDPR? Because I, I fully believe that GDPR is a massive opportunity for marketers and it shouldn't be seen as a negative impact. You know, we were chatting earlier and for me, it really sets the foundation of what the expectation will be with customers moving forward, particularly from marketers, but also in that transparency piece. So, being really open and transparent about how you are collecting, storing, and why you want to collect and store that data and what you will do with it. So organizations that really took that from a positive perspective, looked at it strategically, had a full plan of pl in place, not just um, necessarily focusing on email, but actually an entire organization. I work with and consulted with a, a huge international hotel company and their whole approach was to put the customer experience in the center and to look at it from not only the digital marketing channels and the marketing channels but also to look at it from front of house okay what things do we need to be looking at changing here you know what language should we be using how can we make this better for our customers not necessarily better for us as a business because there can be a little bit of pain to you know include those changes so for organizations that didn't do this and you know I've presented a lot about GDPR and I provided like a summary session um, in London a couple of months ago and there were hundreds of organizations that really left it up until the week before GDPR and the search volume for GDPR on Google in the UK was higher than searching for Beyonce the day before <laughs> GDPR. You know, this is um, incredible. It took two years to come into place. It wasn't something that was, it kind of just landed on our doorstep. I understand that there was a few things that weren't confirmed right up until the last minute, but the general premises of the, of the regulation didn't change. And organizations, you know, claiming that they that the customer's privacy is really important to them you know that message kind of wavers if you're sending that the day before or the day of GDPR coming into place and and even you know organizations sending things a week a month after GDPR say that they've updated their privacy policy it doesn't look like you're putting the customer in the center of that and definitely don't have a strategy and organizations that didn't take it seriously or try to ignore it or didn't think it would affect them or just didn't really 
take the time to have that strategy in place. Um, I've seen some organizations, they've lost more than 50% of their email marketing database because they couldn't prove consent. They didn't get the legal advice or necessarily the correct legal advice. And so they've had to just remove those subscribers. And, you know, 50% to some organizations, that, that is a huge amount of potential revenue that's been lost there from not having that strategy in place. Wow, that's that's huge. I mean, when you told me that number, I went, that's, you know, you look at all the effort that as marketers we put into having good communications with our with our subscribers and actually the money that we spend to attract people to trust us with their email and subscribe mm -hmm. and to lose half of it overnight is just seem, with a two-year advance warning just seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah, and I think... I think for probably a month or two months, email as a channel took a little bit of a hit because of that. Um, you know, some organizations decided that it was too much effort to use email marketing now because of GDPR being in place. And for me, that, you know, that's really disappointing because we all know that as email marketers that email is a top performing digital channel it generally doesn't get the right attribution so it probably outperforms way more than we actually realize even though it's consistently outperforming it's probably a lot more and I think there's just a real kind of display of organizations that can see the value they they treat that channel strategically like they would the SEO the PPC social media um, and don't just look at it like a tactic, um, whereas the other organizations that maybe have been a little bit more hit because they haven't been as well prepared generally are looking to other channels to see if they can try and claw that back. And now I guess are probably a little bit more nervous about using that email data as a result. So what advice would you give people um, looking at what's happening in the U.S.? Because I, I can certainly uh, relate, uh, you know, living in Canada, I can certainly relate when Castle came in to people um, the, the week before the law was enacted. My email box was just full of emails from people wanting me to reconfirm my <laughs> opt-in, yeah. which, which was funny because it, they did exactly what you said. People waited to the last minute and looking at the Canadian law, there wasn't a requirement to have me re-opt-in. So they got bad advice and they probably crushed their database by asking me to re-opt in because guess what I didn't yeah and that in itself is a really interesting kind of topic and discussion point because a lot of organizations didn't even need to do that um, a lot of organizations did that because they either left it too late and so they started to follow you know like a, a herd of sheep they started to follow everyone else <laughs> my yeah. competitors sending these emails I feel like I now need to yeah. um, and when I was speaking to an organization who ended up having to take that approach I asked them okay so why did you feel that you needed to do that even though you as the marketer the marketing team knew that you didn't need to do this and their answer was that they just could not win the battle with the legal team because there were just a couple of kind of gray areas in the GDPR and the legal team were not willing to take the risk. So, and part of that comes to not being as overly prepared and sometimes it takes a kind of an external view and review to kind of provide that support and backup. But if you're, you know, your back's really up against the wall, you've got a deadline, you're like two days before, you're never going to win that argument. And there was quite a lot of conversation about this in the, in the email industry because it, a lot of the communication that was then sent, if it was re-consenting or re-permissioning as what it's also called, 
tended to be written by the legal team. So it's no longer a marketing email. It's no longer, you know, these are all the benefits about why you should want to reconsent with us. These are all the benefits as to why, you know, we want to keep you as a subscriber. It was more from a legal standpoint. And we all know as marketeers that talking like a lawyer, you know, in our advertising isn't going to work, isn't going to engage those customers. So it was a kind of a real chicken and egg situation for a number of marketing teams. This all comes down to not having that plan in place and everything, you know, being ended up being just so late that it's very, very difficult then to, ha- you don't have time to have that conversation with the legal team. So looking at the heightened awareness of what's happening with companies storing your data and, you know, you look at Facebook in the news and the trust level that uh, that's Mm -hmm. there um, and people now re-engaging. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of excitement and a lot of people coming back to email with all the changes in social. Where do you think the opportunity is for our listeners that are that are working in America, looking that America is now looking to what's happening with GDPR and you see California starting to enact new laws. So, you know, where's the low hanging fruit? So, you know, you're a marketer, you're marketing in the US, you've seen what's happened in GDPR. You know, we've just listened to, you know, to you talk about what happened there. What should people be doing today to get prepared? Yeah, I think, you know, my my top piece of advice is to think about putting yourself in the shoes of the customer. So if you're about to subscribe to an organization to their email marketing or receive any marketing from them and they want to collect data about you and find out more about you, what's the kind of key questions that, and information that you would want to know before you handed that over? Because that's what our customers are doing every single day. And I would also, also needs to be looked at from a, not only from that kind of, in the customer's shoes, but also thinking about how you can make that experience better, regardless of what that legislation is saying. So, you know, we were talking earlier, I really think that this is going to set the expectation from customers, whether they're in Europe or not, even if an organization is based in the States, if their customers are in Europe, GDPR applies. So I really feel that this sets the expectation from a customer. And if you're able to take that now and set that as your new normal standard. So, okay, we're going to apply GDPR in our organizations. We're going to be really transparent. We're going to be really clear about the data we're collecting, how we're using it. And we're going to do that up front. You're going to start to build some really, really good trust with your customers if you do that immediately without kind of almost being forced by a legislation to have to do that. If you look like you really want to do that for your customers, I think that says a lot. And you know, it kind of goes back to what you're saying there about Facebook, the reason why that kind of has started to drop on Facebook, you know, their average engagement rates have dropped a lot. And I've written about that in the article that you mentioned. And the reason for that is because the trust has declined massively, both in Zuckerberg, but also in Facebook as a platform, nobody really trusts what they're saying. So I think if you're able to take away that question mark, and able to instill that trust, I think you're going to have a much better relationship with your customers. So to your point, there is the opportunity for the marketers is is to to be proactive. Yeah. And know that at some point legislation is likely to come. So, you know, by the time legislation's in and all your competitors have told your clients, now you're just being a me too. So here's an opportunity to show some leadership. Exactly. This is what the opportunity is for customers. You know, put your head above the parapet as an organization, as marketers, and tell your customers 
how you use their data, why you want to use it, and be really open and transparent about that. And then you have a competitive advantage against your competitors, and you'll really start to stand out in the marketplace. Well, from a consumer point of view, and so I, you know, being having a foot in each camp and being a marketer, um, you know, I like you said, we've been aware for a long time the data that is available to use for marketing. Mm-hmm. But from a consumer point of view, I don't mind um, having um, advertising directed towards me that's based on um, my preferences because for me, it's a, it's a filter, so I get less irrelevant offers and I get more stuff that I'm interested in. So if I'm interested in golf or I'm interested in travel or I'm interested in fill in the blank, I'm happy to get those offers, but I'm less interested to to get offers, you know, for you know things that I I don't follow. Yeah, well, that you know, that's your benefit. That's how you see the benefit to be from giving that data. I think you know that's the key piece from all of this to be able to market the benefit of what you're doing to the customer. So them providing their email address or them providing the date of birth, for example, these are all the things we're going to be able to do. We're going to be able to give you. And then why would a customer not want to give you that? It's really interesting with the whole Facebook scenario because, um, you know, as we were talking earlier, the industry weren't really as surprised i don't think as consumers were in terms of the amount of data that facebook has access to in terms of being able to profile and target an audience you know but consumers had literally no idea whatsoever so to them it's like oh my god you know all this information about me how is this even possible and we as marketers have known that that has been the norm for two if not three years but you know I don't think the transparency has been there. And, and so as a result, across marketing, there is a little bit of a lack of trust um, in marketers. And, and this is, you know, goes back to what we were just saying there. This is where you need to really be proactive and start reinstilling that because that's kind of number one. That's the number one concern is either that the data is going to be hacked, there's a security issue, or you're not going to use it how you said you were going to use it in the first place. Sure. Fair enough. Or are you going to sell the data or do something else with the data, like you said, that yeah. you, I haven't given you permission to? So let's move on to a more fun, um, I mean, maybe this isn't a nice way to say it, but a more fun topic. <laughs> I like the topic. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like the topic, but in, ter- in terms of, and, and I, you know, so I understand um, what you're saying and it, and it makes sense that, you know, here's an opportunity for, for marketers to, I mean, it's also the other way of thinking of it is it's a way for marketers to get in front of their customers without asking them to buy something. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can really add some value saying, hey, we care about you. So this is these are the changes that we're implementing in our organization. And here's why it's a benefit to you. And here's how we're doing it exactly. without it having to be a, hey, here's a coupon to buy my stuff. Exactly. So uh, can we shift to um, something that I know you're super passionate about, and that is strategy? Mm-hmm, of course. I love talking about strategy. <laughs> <laughs> you like it so much. It's, it's in your name. <laughs> it is not my official name my company name <laughs> your company name <laughs> yes. you have to look at your passport to see if it's in it's your, new middle, your new middle name so um let me ask the question that you've answered um you know why does email marketing need a strategy yeah so you know every channel needs a strategy and email marketing is no different to that i think the challenge with email is is the mindset and that it's come from a very tactical place and hasn't necessarily needed to be as strategic until probably two to three years ago. And now with GDPR, it definitely needs to be strategic, which is a huge benefit to the email channel. But it needs a strategy because you need to be able to identify 
you know, what's the objectives? What what exactly are you trying to achieve? I'm still astonished every single day, and I've been in strategy and marketing for over 10 years, that I, when I ask a client, okay, so, you know, this is all great, you know, the campaign that you've built and everything, it looks great, but what exactly is the objective of sending this email campaign? And sometimes more than, you know, nine out of 10 times, the client is unable to answer that question or they haven't really defined it or they haven't really thought about it. They just felt that they needed to get an email campaign out. And I understand, you know, the pressures, um, particularly in some industries where it's very fast paced, you need to be, it's very ad hoc, you need to be able to react. And email is generally the channel that can be used to do that. But you still need to have an overall objective of what you're trying to achieve. And the reason why that is so important is because that will help the business to achieve its goal. If email hasn't got a clear objective, a clear target, a clear goal in mind, then it will not be helping the business to achieve its overall business goal. And then that makes the whole conversation when it comes to budgets and looking at performance really, really difficult to be able to see whether or not a campaign worked, whether or not the strategy was successful, how much it's actually given back to the business. Because without being able to define that, you've got no idea what you're measuring and what you're trying to achieve with the channel. Well, and from my perspective, because the type of work that I do is most people are pushing the button, the send button, and their expectation is that the sales dial will move. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is which is fair, right? I mean, we need we need to have sales to operate our business, but you obviously can't communicate with people every day with a sales. Well, at least in my opinion, you can't commit with a sales attitude. So, to your point, a strategy might be you know branding, top of mind, education, you know, building uh, thought leadership as part of the strategy, all, all mixed with the opportunity to sell or ask your clients to buy or buy more. Yeah, exactly, because you'd have potentially different customer journeys all focused towards you know a different goal based on what you've just said there because you can't as much as we'd like to you can't just keep sending an email every day and expecting to achieve a sales target every single day some organ very limited organizations would be able to achieve that and you want your customer to come back. And if you're constantly sending the same message, please buy our product, please buy our product, please buy our product, then that customer is not going to want to keep opening your email because they've already seen the message. They know what you're going to say. It's very predictable. It's, you know, variety is the spice of life. And that's the same for the email channel. Everything can get very stagnant if you don't have that variety in place. Well, I think some of the marketers are not super creative because they go from please buy my stuff to, hey, let me introduce you to my friend. Please buy his stuff because I, <laughs> I have an affiliate link. So that's a yeah. different offer. That's my spice of life. Here's a different sales offer from my my buddy. Yeah. And, yeah. This kind <laughs> of, um, this goes back to putting that customer in the center again, you know, thinking about what, why is the customer, what they come to us for, what are they expecting from us? What can we give them? What's the value? What's, what can we give the customer that's going to be useful to drive that value piece? Because all of it should be a value exchange. You know, the customer is going to buy your product because you either solve a need or a want that that customer has. And the same with the email. If you want a customer to open your email, okay, what is the customer going to get from opening that email from you today that 
they didn't get yesterday if you're sending it on a daily basis. And that's, you know, I, I really, I, th- I just find it's really, really important to always try and take a step back and just review things with almost like a, a fresh sheet of paper just to have a look and think, okay, if I could do this differently, what would I have changed? Because I think we are, you know, we live in an, an increasingly fast-paced world. Things are changing all the time. It can be really difficult to just take that step back and and just try and look at it with a fresh pair of eyes on a different day and think, okay, let's just be a little bit critical here. Maybe we could have changed this and we could have done X, Y, and Z. And then you've got ideas for your next campaign and always continuously improving. Well, I, what I the way I think about some of the stuff that I do for my own business is if my subscriber opens the email, will they be happy? Will they will they hit? Will mm. I have you know made their day better? Well, I've added value to them in, in, in some way. And if the answer is no, then, you know, I'm sending the wrong content. Yeah, that's a great way of looking at it. So where's the starting point? So it's great to say, hey, we should have strategy. But, you know, what does that really look like to an organization that right now is just mailing their list once a week because they know they should? Yeah, so the first starting point would be to assess what both the internal um, environments and the external environments. So I'll explain that. So the internal environment is the organization itself. And there's some really good tools out there, including a SWOT analysis. So your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And using that for the email channel. So it could be that your strength is that you have, you know, an email design team. And so you're able to get really creative. But a weakness um, might be that it takes you six weeks to turn around an email and believe me I've worked with clients that it takes that long to send an email (laughs) so that would be a real weakness yeah and analyzing it from that perspective but then also looking at it from an external perspective so there's a model called the pestle and this looks at a variety of different factors including political economic technological social And in each of those, um, you would list in there, okay, these are all the things that are affecting our organization from outside. These are the things that we can't necessarily control, but we need to be aware of because these are probably also impacting our customers. So this could also include, you know, if you had higher unemployment rates and things like that, depending on, on the product and service that you're offering, that could have a huge impact on your organization. And then from all of that, you can start to see, okay, these are where our opportunities are. These are the things that we need to be thinking about in terms of our customer or for our our business. These are things we need to be able to combat. And then you start to get a bigger picture of what's happening for your organization that isn't just necessarily email orientated. You know, email is going to have a place to to fit in there to, to be more successful for your organization and to combat all of these things. But I being able to identify what those strengths are, what the weaknesses are, means that you can start playing more to your strengths and the opportunities and be very, very aware of what those weaknesses are and have a plan in place of how you might be able to combat them. Or if you can't combat them, just be very aware that, okay, we've got these limitations and this means that we can't do X, Y, and Z, but we could do this. And then you start to have a bit of a broader conversation. So that would be the first starting point to really analyze the situation of the organization and the email channel. And as a, as a guideline, how, when you're working with an organization to develop a strategy, how far out are you typically planning? Well, that really depends on 
the organization, their current situation, what they're wanting to achieve. Well, what I'm wondering is, are you, are you saying, hey, let's let's look at a year out, and then obviously all the uh, the political and economic things change all the time, but overall this is our our plan for the year, and then depending on what's what's happening globally or locally or, or regulatory, then we need to make some changes, but you know, just a, at a high level. So, yeah. So the start, the ideal scenario would be that you would plan out a year a year and potentially your financial year so then you're able to set aside okay this is the amount of budget that we've got as well and that would really help with your planning um but it may be that the best thing to do would be to then review that either on a quarterly basis or on a monthly basis depending on how much activity that you're doing and what your goals and targets are to just check in okay are we are we looking like we're going to achieve this strategy? What's changed? Has something changed massively in a political world, for example? It's going to have a huge impact that we now need to start adjusting and tweaking the original plan that we had in place. A strategy shouldn't be, you know, a lot of people have an image of a strategy that it's like a huge 500-page book that goes in the drawer that no one ever sees. <laughs> and that isn't the case at all. A strategy is there just to start setting your plan. It doesn't mean that it's going to get carved in stone and your name's going to be on it and your signature and you're like bound to it by life. It can change and adjust. It's just a good starting place to set that foundation. So, yeah, I would recommend having a regular check-in of at least every quarter, if not every month. So it could be a couple pages or the back of a napkin, but at least a starting point. So you, you know, when, uh, when they work with you and you say, so what, you know, why are you sending email? No, they have an answer. Yeah, exactly. And once you've been able to analyze your, your situation and the environment that you're operating in, you can then start creating objectives. And it's really important that these are smart objectives. It's an analogy so that they are specific to what you're trying to achieve. They can be measured because if you have an objective that's just to increase sales, how do you measure how much you've increased by when, to who, um, what product? You know, you need to start going quite granular in the detail of that so that then you, when you come to that measurement piece, you know exactly what you're looking for and it starts to help you on a day-to-day basis then because everybody's then very aligned to okay this is our goal this is our objective this is what we're sending and this is how it's going to help us achieve that because it's going to do x y and z it's funny as, as this i'm you know obviously you're on a podcast can't see me sitting back smiling but i'm um, thinking yeah, i mean <laughs> i have those conversations and 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 then one of the words i think people get tired of me saying is test well what about this yeah. so well, we should test that there's, you know, <laughs> yeah, testing is a is a big part and always will be a big, a big piece because, you know, what happens for what is successful for one organization doesn't necessarily mean it would be the same for another. And I know, you know, I regularly have that conversation with clients as well. And I know it can be really frustrating, but the the best thing is, is that they're testing something specifically for their organization and it, whether it's a good um, you know, a positive or negative outcome in terms of its performance, you've always got some learnings from that, which means that as a business, you can only do better. Well, that's what I think. I mean, you, you test and, and improve and you've got your baseline and the goal is, you know, hopefully every day you're just making, you know, small changes and you're, you know, moving that dial a little bit better day after day, looking back at, you know, your history so you know where you've come from. Yeah, exactly. And if you, 
And if you don't test, how do you know that you're getting the optimal performance for what you're doing if you haven't tested to see if there's more out there? Yeah, I always that's that's normally how I would uh, sell that to somebody. It's like you don't you don't know how much money you're leaving on the table unless you're testing. You might think that this is working really well, but what if with a few tweaks we we change this and and it makes a two percent difference on this this metric? Um, what does that look like? Yeah, exactly. It's not that we've been in the same meeting or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I completely agree. <laughs> So looking at some of the other stuff that you've published and just to, to move into the, what are you most excited about? You know, what are you excited about in, the, you know, this, uh, this space that we're in? Yeah, I am so excited about artificial intelligence. I think we may have spoken about this the last time, but for me, I know it has a little bit of a negative connotation in, in that people think it's going to take away your jobs and you're going to be potentially sat next to a robot and all of this, but for me, that it's not, you know, that isn't the risk of this. I feel that it will really enhance a marketer's job. And I've already seen it start to do this for some organizations, um, particularly in the email space. So there's some brilliant artificial intelligence technology out there that will automate and create intelligent subject lines. Um, and I've worked with a number of organizations that have tested this. So they've tested using it. And being able to see if it will drive better results. So will it drive better opens, but will it also drive better click-through rate and revenue? Because, okay, you could get more opens, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the content inside related to the subject line. And so then it's kind of like a false um, positive. And it just, I just find it really, it's just amazing. The brands I've worked with, you know, they've achieved more than five times the ROI in just the first send of using this technology. And they're testing, you know, 10 to 15 subject lines on every send. Now, obviously, you need to have a huge email marketing database for that. But it goes to show the scale of things. And, and going back to that testing piece, it can analyze at scale. So it's able to analyze the results and learn from what's worked and what hasn't, the words that are positive, emojis that worked, for example, segments that really liked this, but maybe didn't like the other side of things. And it's able to do that so much quicker than a human would ever be able to do and then present that back to us. And then we're able to input into it and say, okay, well, we wouldn't use this because it's not with the brand voice, but we might, let's test this bit and let's go a little bit granular here. And so for me, it's just, I think it's just incredible. I think it will really enhance our jobs. It will allow us to do more of the strategic thinking, more of the creative element that we all want to be doing and be able to analyze all of this data that we have access to, but don't necessarily have the time to analyze. And so for me, I just, I'm really excited about the technology. Well, and for listeners that um, aren't excited about technology, I'll just go back to just the the very crude approach is five times revenue if that's not, <laughs> if, if that's not it doesn't pique your interest to hey maybe i should check i should check this out i don't know what will <laughs> yeah it was just astounding and that is with a couple of clients that have achieved those results so and that isn't just uk this is also us so it's the us market it's international uh, an organization that i worked with they were looking to test this they didn't really know 
they didn't really believe in the technology. Like, really, could it achieve better results than what we're already getting? Let's just try it. And they had a six-month trial originally, and they stopped it short within three months because the results were already astronomical and then went worldwide. <laughs> so, you know, it's just incredible. And and I, I'm really honoured to have been able to witness that really early on in its development and be involved in that. And so for me, I just, I see it as a real positive. I know there's a huge negative element in that it's going to take jobs, but there's a lot of research out there that tells us all that it's actually going to produce more jobs than what it takes away. And I just think it's only a good thing if we're able to really hone in on that data that we're currently struggling to analyze because we just, we can't do it at the scale of the machine. And the machine is still going to need our human input because it can't operate on its own. It needs to be told what to do, when to send, um, things, words that you might not want to include because it's not part of your brand voice and so on. Um, So for me, it's just a really interesting space. Yeah, I'm super excited. I've had a couple of guests I've interviewed recently um, in the AI space and and one in particular, we talked about what's kind of happening with uh, SEO and how SEO has changed to the point that um, it's it's no longer, you know, keywords and all the stuff that um, we used to think for uh, for ranking is a lot of it now is coming down to user engagement, which is which mm-hmm. has been in the email space for a long time. If people aren't opening and clicking and, and, and responding to your emails, I mean, it affects your deliverability and all the other. Uh, reputation, but online now. So AI is 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 in that space and also in CRM. And I'm excited because I think as a marketer to sell the benefit, I guess I can't help but do that is again, it's uh, hopefully um, speaking a better language to my customers uh, that's more relevant. And again, the offers and conversations that we're having are more suited to what they want. Yeah. And being able to go back to what you said at the beginning, you know, about personalization, it's personalizing on another level because it's able to learn the words that you as an individual do or do not like. And so it starts to become personalization at scale that we're already trying, striving to achieve as marketers. Yeah, I, although I think it, it's going to have, it may have some impact in terms of uh, people who um, uh, design ads. I mean, I, I talked to a company in Toronto and they're doing Facebook ads that at scale that are generated by AI. So the days of having your graphic department create one ad and then, you know, after the strategy session is done, say, hey, this is the direction we're going to go and then running one ad. They're saying, no, we're going to create 500 ads and we're going to run them and we're going to see which ones convert the highest and that'll be the new norm. Yeah, and then you'll probably have a lot more marketers that are more kind of analyst or um, like managing almost the campaign, but managing the artificial intelligence and machine to go down the route that you wanted to take it once it's presented those results back. And that's probably how the marketer's role will change slightly in that type of context. Well, it's definitely exciting times to be in this business. So what's some of the bad advice you're hearing now? I mean, we've, we spoke just, well, I don't know, probably eight months ago. So, you know, what's, what's the conversation? Cause I mean, you're out, I follow you obviously on social media. So listeners, you should follow uh, Jenna on social. I follow her on, on Twitter and Instagram and see her pictures of all the different places she's traveling. Um, so you're <laughs> speaking to lots of different groups. Um, you must get some really odd questions. So what's some of the, <laughs> what, what's some of the stuff that you hear and you go like, man, I can't believe people ask me that yeah I haven't had a really I was just trying to think that about an odd question that I've had I don't think I've had a really really odd question oh actually one question I did get asked when I was in Romania a month ago was 
and I'm not sure this really class is an odd one, but it's a very thought provoking question. What do we think the job role titles will be for marketers in the future if we're all using AI? So will we still be a website manager and email campaign manager and so on? Do we think that AI will have an impact on terms of what our job roles and description and titles will be? And that's quite interesting because I've not really, no one's really asked me that before. So that's quite a thought provoking question that I don't have the answer to. <laughs> um, and I'm still thinking about like, oh, I'm not quite sure. But um, I suppose the question I continuously still get asked, which I am amazed about because there's just hundreds of articles about this, is how many emails should I send? And you mean in terms of of frequency? Is that what you're... Yeah, in terms of frequency. What's the magic number? How many is too many? How many is too little? Am I sending too many? What time of day should I send them? Is there... Should I send them on a Monday, a Tuesday, Wednesday? What day of the week? I regularly still get asked that without having seen any analysis, any data, know anything about their organization. The question is asked to me as if I can just go, yep. Tuesday, 9 a.m. every well, that, day. That's what I was waiting for. I was waiting for you to tell us that here's the, here's the magic formula. Send three times a week at this time. If I had that magic formula, I'd be on a beach in Barbados right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I can assure you I am not. Well, I, I, just had my, I just had my thinking expanded because I had a conversation with Adela Quist last week. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, you know. Yeah, you, I can imagine. So I, we we finished off the interview, and he went, "Man, I'm ever tired." Uh, <laughs> that really wore, that really wore me out. Um, so so he had uh, he had uh, obviously his thinking on uh, on frequency, but you know, I I would answer that back again with test it. Exactly, and that is completely my response to that as well. But also looking at past performance. And analyzing it by segment, you know, you got to do some really grand analysis into that as well to see if there is a particular time and day. Because I've worked with some organizations and it's amazing that they are sending an email. It's like a membership organization. It's slightly different where you had to be a member to receive their emails. But they were sending an email midweek. And um, when we looked at the chart over a a six-month period and we looked at the days of the week of when it was being opened and clicked on, Customers were receiving it on the Wednesday, but more customers were actually opening it on a Saturday than when it was actually sent. And that's the, I've never seen this before. I've never seen this repeated with another organization where customers wanted that email so much that they saved it and waited until the weekend when they had more time to read it. That's amazing. So, that's amazing. The content must be great. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So they, you know, they're definitely not sending it on the right day um, based on that, or they are, and they, <laughs> they you know, they test it. Do we then yeah. change, change that to sending it on a Saturday? So, but uh, you, yeah, there is no magic formula. I wish there was, but there just isn't. And I'm amazed I still get asked that question. Well, and with today's tools in terms of sending email, I mean, there's email tools um, that do, you know, predictive sending. So they know when you're, when your subscribers open. So there's lots of, there's lots of tools out there that make it very easy to figure that out. Yeah. And to be able to analyze that, dig deeper into that and potentially look at what's happening in the industry. But, you know, that needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. I do um know that you know some some brands will really just look at okay in this industry this time of the day this day of the week we should be sending then and 
you know, it's quite a dangerous approach if you're not testing it. There we go. See, I didn't say at that time, Janice, that testing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure Della said that might have said that yeah. a few times as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Just, a, just a few. Yeah. <laughs> so any parting thoughts or wisdom you want to leave with our listeners today? Yeah, I suppose um, just going back to that question, I guess, about what's the one question I still keep getting asked. I guess the one thing I'm really still surprised to see is the misinterpretation of what a strategy is in comparison to tactics. So a lot of organizations have tactics, so, you know, like using channels and email, social media, and so on. And a lot of people will then class that as a strategy, and that isn't a strategy. And I'll just break this down really simply, and this will be my closing thoughts. A strategy is about determining the who, what, and why of what you're doing. And the tactics is how you're going to do it. So the two work together. They don't, you know, they need to work together because if you just had a strategy and you didn't use any tactics to implement, you know, you wouldn't have an active campaign. But if you just have the tactics and you don't have the goal, then you don't really know what you're achieving based on what we were talking about earlier. So really is thinking about, okay, what's, why are we doing what we're doing? What do we need to do? And when do we need to do it for the strategy? And the tactics is how do we then implement that? And it's as simple as that. It's not a hundred page document as we've spoken about. Um, <laughs> yeah. That is your strategy and that is your tactics. Excellent. Hey, well, thanks so much. It was great to, great to chat and catch up again today. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. So there we go, listeners. I hope you've got some new information and uh, hope that through this conversation with Jenna that she's encouraged you to be bold and take leadership with what's happening with uh, privacy, GDPR, what's happening in California, what's probably going to roll out uh, across the U.S. and just continue to go. So take take advantage of that. I would uh, suggest that you follow up and follow her on social media and uh, check out her website. So Jenna, where can people find you? Yeah, so I am on Twitter, so at Jenna Tiffany. Um, I also run my uh, own consultancy called Let's Talk Strategy, so that's letstalkstrategy.co.uk. Um, and also feel free to email me, so it's Jenna at letstalkstrategy.co.uk. There we go. So, hey, thanks. Uh, thanks again, Jenna. Really appreciate you taking time. I'll be uh, checking you out again on uh, Instagram, watching you uh, travel around the world and share your knowledge with marketers and brands all over the place. So thanks again. Thanks for tuning yeah, in, listeners. We much. look forward nice to serving to you. you on our next episode. Thanks a lot. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Real Marketing Real Fast. Now it's time to take your marketing to the next level by visiting DougMorneau.com and downloading our advanced marketing white papers, as well as exclusive resources based on today's episode. That's DougMorneau.com. Until next time, we look forward to serving you right here on Real Marketing Real Fast.